0: Well, three times in this passage, we're going to look at two of them today where he says, I am the bread of life. So I thought it was appropriate. He's talking about a little bit of what would become communion for us. But he's talking about in John chapter six of partaking of the flesh of Christ. And uh, he's beginning to kind of lay out something that the Jewish people had no idea about the Christians, well, they weren't technically Christians yet. Christ hadn't died yet. These things were being revealed. And so this is kind of the beginning of a revelation. I thought it would be appropriate for us to receive communion following today's teaching. So I'll give out instructions at the close of the teaching for that. And so in case you were wondering, it's not the first Sunday. What's the elements doing out for? And uh, I went back old school. We have bread. And the cups. And uh, I noticed last time we had communion, the little portable ones, that juice was tasting sour again. It just doesn't last too long. And I even bought a smaller pack this time. Um, it, it's trying to ferment on us, and we're trying to prevent that. <laughs> you have your uh, bulletins, your announcements. We're going to attempt to put together an annu- annual meeting document for n- next week, next Sunday. If it's not together by next Sunday, it will be by the following, but uh, we'll be handing those out within the next two weeks for sure. But just want to give you a heads up on that and kind of give us a a direction for 2023 for our fellowship. Also a look back at 2022, especially with in regards to finance and kind of where the journey of this fellowship has been over the last year. And uh, we want to get that information to you, something I've never done before. But those who perhaps listening on the radio watch this online, um, maybe you've been giving to our church. You want to have that information and just email us uh, at our church. Have contact with that and we'll get that information out to you as well. If you're sharing in the ministry and support of this ministry, I'd love for you to have that document that is in the process of being produced right now. Uh, The other bulletin announcements, pretty steady since last week. Uh, Some of the folks have already went out and saw Jesus Revolution. Uh, Lily and I, along with Kevin and Melissa and Philip McKenzie, we're trying to get a time where we can all go together. I told Lily last night, we just might have to just go see the movie on our own. It's hard to get three families together. Um, It would be cool today. But uh, today, that was McKenzie's suggestion. Uh, It's like, well, let's go Sunday afternoon. It's like, well, it's Josiah's birthday. I don't know if he wants to do that on Sunday afternoon, but um, we already had plans for his birthday. So anyways, and the boys are down coming back from Indianapolis uh, playing basketball all weekend. Melissa and Caleb and Nathan had had a long four days, and down there. So, you know, I would just encourage you with the movie. I I read one of my friends in Tennessee who pastors the church down there. His name is Chris, and he said, and no doubt very close to the uh, Calvary Chapel and maybe the early days of Calvary Chapel, he said at the end of the movie, I read his post this morning, he said, I sat and wept for 10 minutes in the theater, and then I couldn't stop crying when I went out into the lobby as well. So some people will say, eh, others will say, man, it broke my heart, and uh, j- just pray. Uh, it has been interest- interesting to me. is In theaters, we have a movie about the last great, really known revival that spread across our land that was in the Calvary Chapel movement, helped to form the Calvary Chapel movement, but it wasn't solely a Calvary Chapel Thing. It went through many churches, and at that same time, uh, down in Asbury, Kentucky, the Holy Spirit came upon a chapel meeting that went for many days back in 1970, and we just had the same school, another chapel meeting, where all it said at the beginning, 50 students lingered after the chapel. And it didn't stop for 13 days. So the timing of these two things are just remarkable. Pray that the Lord would send revival. There's something about people being willing to stay in worship for an extended period of worship. The proof of revival is the long term outcome of it. And I believe back in the 1960s and 70s that God steered the course of our nation in a new direction by uh, sending his spirit upon believers and unbelievers at that time and kind of change the course of our nation. And I I also believe that our nation needs a little reset, a course change right now, and this would be a wonderful time for us. So Jesus Revolution movies in theater right now, a uh, little bit of the history of Calvary Chapel movement being uh, displayed in the story of Greg and Kathy Laurie. And this is their story of how they came to faith and the ministry. And after the credits, hang around because Pastor Greg has a word for the people. So you have to sit through the credits. I just heard that. Important that we all would know it. Um, So sometimes it might be good to linger for a few minutes weeping in in the theater because you might miss something at the end, especially with this movie. Well, this coming Wednesday... Uh, We have the same message that I planned for last Wednesday because we had that rain all day and kind of an ice storm in the area, so we ended up at the last minute canceling the services. Last minute because, um, you know, I worked in the trades. I was foreman on a lot of the projects I worked at. I had to make weather calls all the time, and I had to do that without the means of a device where I could actually look at the weather I had to look at the weather uh, back then, and I had to look up and see what was going on. I would have to, and I would get them wrong sometimes, and I'd get it right sometimes. But last Wednesday, the app kept saying it was going to warm up to 34 degrees. And I was thinking, well, if it gets to 34, then it won't be an issue. But, you know, it was like, it's going to be 34 at 2 o'clock. And then, no, it's going to be 3 o'clock. No, 4 o'clock. No. Five o'clock, it kept moving it, and it became an issue. I'm glad uh, we had a tree go down on Grand Avenue. We have one leaning out here that didn't go down. It got caught by another tree, but uh, it's going to have to be dealt with. So I think the decision was right, but it just means all the ditto of Wednesday coming up this week. will be back in the book of Numbers and uh, picking up in Numbers I can't remember. Somewhere in my notes. Let's see. I can find them. I'll give you, huh? 27, I thought it was. It's right here in my notes, but I don't have a bulletin with me. So I'm going to just pray for our offertory and pray for our teaching and get us going in the word of God today. And so, Father, we thank you for this day. You've given us the time to gather together to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you have continually been with our fellowship, that you allowed us to be established as a church over 30 years ago now. And, uh, Father, part of me says in my heart that if it wasn't for the gift of this building and the grounds, that perhaps there would be no Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa. It is what brought the original pastor to this area and the property and the grounds has been what has sustained us here to gather around this place and to worship. And we thank you, Lord, for this gift. Lord, this was a property that was dedicated to you in the 1960s back when the Spirit was sweeping across the land. I believe, Lord, personally, that This piece of property was part of those early revivals that Calvary Chapel was a part of at that time, but this was not a Calvary Chapel at that time. You caused this church for a season to flourish. And we pray, Lord, that as you continue to work in our lives, that we would see this church flourish in many ways today. I'm thankful, Lord, for online ministry that we have through the videos. Uh, It blows me away that just looking at the metrics, the numbers from even last Sunday, having uh, more people watch us online that are actually sitting in the church, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. But Lord, we look around and say we have a small congregation and you look and see things differently. So Father, I pray that you would be with this We know we are a small church, Lord, but let us be a church that loves you, desires to walk in your ways, Lord, a church that desires your spirit to fill us, to overflow us, to do the work that you've called us to. And we do pray, Lord, for 10 families here in 2023. Lord, you are a God of miracles, and we are asking, Lord, with the faith of a mustard seed, that you would send us ten families to join to this fellowship to come alongside us, to work with us. And, Lord, we pray for revival, not only in this church, Lord, but truly throughout our whole land. Pray a blessing, Lord, on the offertory gifts that are given here. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom for every dollar spent may be used for the work that you've called us to. And bless us now, Lord, as we look into your word today from John chapter 6. I pray, Father, that as we take this portion from John's gospel, that you would speak to us in wonderful ways. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are in John chapter 6 this morning, but we're only going to take a portion of John 6. We're going to be looking at John 6 verses 30 through 58 I'd initially set it up to finish John chapter 6, but it seemed like it was getting a little long. Plus, as I was working through in preparation for today's message, I began to think about uh, serving communion at the end of the message. So that's why we have the elements here before us. A lot of times when we have communion, we do it before the teaching. But we're going to be talking about Jesus, the bread of life. We're also going to be looking at the very first of seven of the I am statements that Christ made in the gospel of John. He he would say this uh, in totality in John chapter six, I am the bread of life three times. And so that's considered one. I am statement. I am the bread of life. But in John's gospel, he gives us seven. I am statements from Christ. This is the beginning of those I am statements and it comes following the death of John the Baptist. We've talked about that over the last few weeks uh, after John had been put to death by Herod and uh, word came to Jesus that he had died. The disciples had been out on a short term missionary journey and going out and sent out by Christ two by two empowered with the Holy Spirit to Not only teach and preach the gospel, but to heal the sick, to cast out demons. They returned to Jesus, rejoicing for the things that they had done through the power of Christ upon them. And hearing the death, hearing about the death of John the Baptist, Jesus said to his disciples, "Let's depart. Let's get away. Let's go to a deserted place." And it was kind of supposed to have been a retreat with Jesus. They went into the area, the remote areas of Bethsaida. Uh, A town that is northeast slightly of Capernaum, but mostly east, east, I should say, of Capernaum, Bethsaida, it means house of fish. So you could probably say it was a fisherman's village, but they were in the remote areas surrounding that town. When the people found where Jesus was going, they, by the time they gathered to Jesus, what was supposed to be a kind of a retreat for him and his disciple turned out that 5,000 other men showed up, but there was also women and children there. And so we can say that the number maybe grew to about 15 to 20,000 or more. And at that time there was the feeding of the 5,000. It was coming to the end of that year of popularity. Some said that it had ended at this point. Others say that it hadn't quite ended, but we are transitioning at this point. And I would say personally, we get to the end of John chapter six. We'll see this next week, but John six sixty-six, that's so easy to remember now that I've said that like three weeks now in a row, but John six sixty-six, from that time many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. So I believe that John is kind of pinpointing a big change of the people in the heart of the people. And I believe perhaps there John 6, 66, we're seeing a transition from Jesus's year of popularity to that year of opposition is what the theologians have named it, the last year of Jesus's ministry. So there's got to be a divide. And the people were fed by Jesus, but in the morning... They got hungry again. They began to search for Jesus. They knew that he had sent his disciples away that evening in a boat. They knew that he went up on a mountain to pray by himself. But in the morning, Jesus was nowhere to be found. And so they began to search for him. Boats from Tiberias, which is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, showed up that morning and, uh, There was no other boats around. The Bible tells us that. There was only one. The disciples departed in it. They had no idea that they got in trouble in the middle of that sea that night, and the winds were contrary against them. They had no idea that Jesus came to them walking on water. All they knew is that Jesus was gone. They got on the boats from Tiberias. They began to search for Jesus. And we looked at this last week uh, that Jesus had ministered to the people in Gennesaret. The following morning, the people are on that same morning looking for Jesus that had been fed by him around Bethsaida, and they found Jesus in Capernaum. It's only like 10 miles apart from one another, but consider this. They didn't have bicycles. uh, They didn't have motorbikes, cars, uh, no bus like they do in Israel today. You can Catch a bus. It was 10 miles. The quickest way to get anywhere would be in that area on a boat. But they found, according to John, they found Jesus in Capernaum. That's where we are in the accounts here in John chapter 6. There in Gennesaret, many of the people begged Jesus that they could just touch the hem of his garment. And those who touched him were made perfectly well, according to Matthew 14, 36. Now, the issue with the people from Bethsaida, they were trying to find Jesus, which we will see today, not because they had seen a great spiritual work done by Christ, but because they were hungry again. He had met a physical need, and they desired for him to continually meet that physical need. We have people today in our country that are saying that You know, it would be better if the government would just take care of us all, that they would supply the physical needs that we have, give us a place to live, give us food to eat. Lily and I, a couple of weeks ago, listened from a testimony of a woman who, at 13 years old, escaped from North Korea, and she was talking about how they became a communist country where the leader at the time when they became a communist country promised them three square meals a day. They sold their souls, we might say, for three square meals a day. And she escaped with her mother from North Korea because wherever they lived, they could see the lights from China. And she said, where we lived, it was total darkness. So we just walked toward the lights. And they came into China, in the area of China. Both her and her mother were sold into sex slave. Uh, I don't even know what happened to her mother. They were separated at that time. She was in that uh, sex slave from 13 to 15 years old until she um, was able to be escaped with missionaries from South Korea who came in to help to escape. And they actually, she mentioned that uh, the movie theaters, Uh, movie people wanted to make a story of her life, how she escaped North Korea. But they said in the story, China has to be the hero. Here in Hollywood, China needs to be the hero. And she said, they're not the hero in this story. I was sold into sex slavery in China. And uh, she found freedom in Jesus Christ through missionaries from South Korea. And here she's in the United States and really talking today about what's being taught in our colleges, our universities today. She was shocked as a student to discover that the same things that were taught her in North Korea are now being taught in our universities today. So there are people out there that they they want that three square meals a day, the thing that they don't tell you. It will be more like Joseph, when the famine came, upon Egypt and after everybody sold everything they had that they could buy food for themselves after two years they had sold everything until finally they sold their own lives and Joseph took them moved them into the cities that he could manage the people and they lost everything that's what socialism is that's what they're trying to sell us I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent But the bread of life is Jesus Christ. We need to be careful when we seek for physical over the spiritual. When we do that, we're going to find ourselves in a place that we'd rather not be. And whether it's in a a capitalistic government like ourselves or a socialistic government if we're only going after the physical, we'll get in trouble. That's what we're going to learn about today. They set their hearts on earthly things and not heavenly things in this message that I titled The Bread of Life, John 6:30 through 58. And the first point, they saw, they sought signs 30 through 34. The bread of life 35 through 40. The son of Joseph, the son of God 41 through 47. And wilderness or heavenly bread, 48 through 58. So John chapter 6, we pick up in the first two verses that we're looking at today. in Verses 30 and 31. And the word tells us, Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So I don't know about you, but the people who are asking Jesus to do a sign right here, what sign will you show us? they just seen him feed 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. I think that's a pretty large, so much so that all four Gospels record the feeding of the 5,000. There's only two miracles that all four Gospels record and talk about. One is the feeding of the 5,000. The other is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There will be a feeding of the 4,000 that three of the Gospels will talk about. But that is a pretty major sign. But it wasn't enough. What sign will you show us that we might see it and believe? During the feeding of the 5,000, they ate until they were satisfied. And yet by the next day, when their tummies began to rumble again, they sought for more signs. If they were unwilling to believe the sign of the feeding of the 5,000, would it make a difference if there were five more signs given by Jesus? 50 or even 500? How many signs would it take for them to believe in Jesus? Although Yahweh had provided manna to the first generation that came out of egypt they never entered into their rest sure they ate manna in the wilderness but god never intended for that first generation to remain in the wilderness for 40 years that was their doing they in their disobedience to the word of god refused to enter into the promised land there was a wilderness period that was proper it was to last around two years, but because of their disobedience, they extended it by 38 years. And all but Joshua and Caleb of that first generation that came out of Egypt died there in the wilderness. So sure, God provided manna for them in the wilderness, but it was never meant to be a permanent provision. In Joshua 5.12, it tells us, when the second generation Crossed the Jordan River, they entered into the Promised Land. Joshua 5:12. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. So it was never meant to be a permanent situation. It is not wrong for us to uh, have God, seek God, to provide provision for us to pray for provision. Lily and I do that all the time. We are taught by Jesus in Matthew 11 Matthew 6:11 to give us this day our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer. That is part of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread but we must have a proper priority of the spiritual versus the physical. In Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Jesus said, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall you eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So we need to have that proper Priority seeking first the kingdom of God, and I can testify that to this day the Lord has seen that I have been provided for my family, Lily, and I, and our children, even our grandchildren at this time, extending into their families. God has been faithful, but also He has been faithful spiritually to work in our hearts and our lives, and it causes us to desire to draw nearer to Him. So they asked for a sign, and Jesus responded, verses 32 through 34. Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then he said to him, uh, they said to him, sorry, Lord, give us this bread Always again, and that last phrase, Lord, give us this bread always, is them thinking of the physical. Just feed us, Lord, from now on. That would be great. What you did yesterday, let's do that again. Maybe, maybe not fish this time. Maybe it can be uh, some pasta, and you can have some meatballs, and you know, a lot of pasta and some meatballs, and it'll be a, an Italian treat. I don't know. That, you know, they got even in the wilderness. The children of Israel got tired of the manna. And they were just like, oy vey, manna, manna, manna. Boiled manna, fried manna, uh, roasted manna, however you want it. It's just, it got too much for them as well. They cried out for some meat. And that didn't work well for them. What I want us to see here, John did something unique in his gospel. The other gospel writers didn't do, although they would say Jesus would begin a phrase by saying amen or truly. We find it here as well, the words most assuredly. In the Greek, it's "Amen, Amen, amen, amen. And so there is just this emphasis set at the beginning of what he was going to say. He put this emphasis on here. He doubled it up. It is a mean is a Greek word that means truthfulness, uh, to be firm, steady, or trustworthy, and he places it here at the beginning of this to let them know that this is truth. This is a validity of my word, that not Moses but God, Moses didn't give you bread, but God gave them bread for 40 years. God. Gave them bread. Moses was the instrument that God used, and the children of Israel sadly looked to the instrument that God was using instead of looking to God Himself. In Psalm seventy-eight twenty-three through twenty-five, it says, "Yet He had commanded the clouds above, and He opened the doors of heaven; had rained down manna on them to eat, and had given them bread from heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full." So Jesus was trying to show them that the bread of God was not physical, but spiritual. That the bread that God has sent down from heaven was Christ himself. But they could not get their eyes off the physical to see their great spiritual need. That is a danger for many people to this day. People often neglect their greater spiritual need of partaking in the bread of life. They can't get their eyes off the physical to see their greater spiritual need. So we pick up in verses 35 through 37. We're going to be looking at Jesus saying that he is the bread of life. Reading from verse 35, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I Said to you that you have not, (laughs) but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. So they came searching for earthly bread to sustain their lives while neglecting Jesus Christ, the bread of life who was who is able to this day to, to give us spiritual bread, to give us spiritual bread unto eternal life. Jesus would later connect his spiritual uh, the spiritual bread of his being, the bread of life, to his sacrifice upon the cross through which we are saved in Paul writing about this in 1 Corinthians 11 23 through 25. Our method of doing ministry, we talked about this a few weeks ago from this verse. I just want to remind you of it since we're here again in First Corinthians 11:23, For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver from you, that Jesus on that same night when he was betrayed took bread, in verse 24, and he gave it thanks and he broke it and he said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in verse 25 in like manner he also took the cup after supper saying this is the cup of the covenant of my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me so jesus is beginning to teach about his sacrifice upon the cross he is the bread of life We must partake of Christ, and he's only beginning to introduce these things in this final year before going to the cross. Only Jesus can satisfy spiritual hunger, being eternally secure in Jesus' care. In John 10, 28 through 30, Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So Jesus, by partaking, he says, of the bread of life, he tells us next that we shall never be lost. From 38 through 40. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the father who sent me that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And Jesus came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father who sent him. If you remember there at the Garden of Gethsemane, when the Lord prayed that night in Matthew 26:39, he cried out to the Father saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. He came to do the will of the Father to give his life upon the cross, that he could pay the penalty of our sin, that we, through faith in his name, in his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave, he now offers life to all who believe in him. Jesus said he would not lose anyone who believes in him. He would raise them up in the last day. Paul, in Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4, says, For you died... And you were hidden, your life was hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So we die spiritually. Ah, There is this death that takes place where we give our heart to Jesus. Our life then is hidden in Christ Jesus. And when the Lord appears in his glory, we will also appear with him. It's through faith in Jesus and his death, burial and resurrection that we have everlasting life. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 tells us this hope we have as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast and which enters into the presence behind the veil Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Because Jesus in his death, burial, but his resurrection from the grave, he now ascending to the right hand of the Father, he has prepared a way for us. And by partaking of Jesus, the bread of life, our salvation is eternally secure in Christ. So, the people had a problem with the statement, "I am the bread of life." Jesus will uh, repeat this three times in John chapter six, but we 've seen the beginning of his "I am statements that I am the bread of life." so the people had issue with this, so it brings us to our third point. the Son of Joseph, the Son of God in john six forty one through forty seven originally, I had put down the Son of Joseph or the Son of God, but he was both. He he was fully human, but he was fully God. So technically both, that's why I just put a, a hash mark, a slash between the two, but that's not what they were asking. They could not get past the thought that they knew Joseph, they knew Mary, they knew his brothers, they knew his sisters. So in verses 41 and 42, the Jews then complained about him because they said, He said, I am the bread of life which comes down from heaven. And in 42, they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he has said, I have come down from heaven? Jesus had a claim of deity here repeatedly in his discourse here in Capernaum. In verse 38, he said that he was the bread of life. Verse 41, That by hearing his teachings, the people have been taught by God, verse 45, by promising, he promised them everlasting life. I think I had those backwards. Um, He came down from heaven, verse 38. He's the bread of life, verse 41. uh, Hearing his teaching, he's been taught by God, verse 45, and he promised everlasting life there in verse 47. Although Jesus spoke truth, many of the people rejected his testimony. They were saying, show us another sign. But how many signs would it take? Their problem is they they couldn't get past the physical. They knew his earthly parents. They knew Joseph. They knew Mary. We don't know if Joseph is still living at this time. He's not mentioned uh, in Scripture, in the Gospels. Once Jesus is 12 years old, he's never mentioned again. Mary is, and she'll be mentioned all the way into the first chapter of the book of Acts. But they were accustomed to his family. Even in Mark 6, 4 through 6, Jesus would say to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there except lay hands on a few sick people that they would be healed. And he marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. Why? Because they had their minds stuck in the physical realm. All that Jesus could possibly do for them physically. They couldn't get past the physical and see their need, their greater spiritual need. So Jesus responds, verses 43 through 47, Therefore he answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. And it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore everyone who is... Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who has come from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. It's interesting. Jesus here, and this is not in my notes, but I was just thinking about this as I was reading this, talking about the Father drawing the people to them. They're being taught by God, um, learning from the Father as it is written in the prophets. So, when Jesus talked about as it is written in the prophets, when he said that, he was referring to this thick part of our Bibles. He was referring to the Old Testament. I was talking to my sister a couple of weeks ago, and she uh, saw a friend that she hadn't seen in a long time that used to attend the church that my sister attends up north and uh, hadn't seen her friend in a long time, saw her out somewhere, maybe at a store or something. And they chatted for a while, and it's like, yeah, we haven't seen you in church for a long time. It's like, well... I'm kind of a Jesus-only, New Testament-only believer now that basically saying the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. And just think about this, if you've never thought about it before, when they referred to Scripture in the Gospels and at the beginning of the church age in the book of Acts, all they had was the Old Testament prophets. That's all they had. The rest of this hadn't been written yet. It would be over a period of time, but they didn't have the New Testament. When they talked about the Holy Scriptures, the prophets, they referred to the Old Testament. And if we erase what has been taught in the Old Testament, I would say that we will never then have an accurate understanding of the sacrifice of Christ, of the ministry of Christ, of the person of christ apart from combining both the old and new testament what it teaches us about jesus christ so we can't divorce the two as some are trying to do today bonus it wasn't in my notes (laughs) jesus called the people out for murmuring among themselves it just reminds us once again that jesus is god he knew what they were thinking he knew what they were saying Hebrews 4.13 tells us no creature is hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to him to whom we must give an account. Although they did not believe in Jesus, Jesus teaches that those who do come to him in life-saving faith do so by the supernatural work of God. Those who come to me, Jesus said... Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who comes from God has seen him most assuredly, I say to you. He who believes in me has everlasting life. That everyone, verse 45, who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That these things come to us through a spiritual work. God draws us to the Lord. God does a spiritual work where He livens up. One of the things we learn, I had talked about the importance of the Old Testament. In the beginning, it tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. He created uh, man and woman in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. Now, that's just another thing that I could teach on that I don't want to make a point on. But we're having an issue here in the United States today that male and female, he created them. Uh, They're trying to say that there is no such two divisions that's another issue what does it mean that god created us in his image this is what i want us to take note of from the old testament to the new testament we learn of the theocracy of god we learn of the trinity that we call father son and the holy spirit we have been created in lesser triunity of spirit soul and body when adam and eve were first created by god there in the garden they had communion with the Father. In other words, their spirit touched the Spirit of God. They had communion with God, but when they ate of the fruit, their spiritual makeup of spirit, soul, and body flipped, and physical became the primary concern. We can be like God. They were more worried about the physical, just like here in John chapter 6. They were more worried about the physical. No longer did they have communion with God. Well, the Word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians twelve three. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Lord does a spiritual work in our lives. We've read it here that in verse 45, they shall be taught by God. Therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. God initiates that desire for Jesus in our hearts. The Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. He initiates that desire for Jesus. No one can say Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The work of Jesus in our lives is not merely for this life, but continues on into everlasting life. Jesus said... In verse 44, I will raise him up in the last day. Jesus said in verse 47, He who believes in me has everlasting life. And they shall be taught by God. The Lord gives us his word. He has given us his word now. He guides us by his Holy Spirit. In John 16:13, Jesus would say that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. Godly men and women also have been given to us that we might have examples of what we could understand, how we ought to walk and to please God in 1 Thessalonians 4 1. So, in this life, concerning Jesus, there may be many opinions concerning Jesus. It really dials down to two Was he human or divine? Or was he both? I believe both. I guess that's three. I threw the both in there. Either he was a good man or a God man. Either he was a remarkable historical figure that we're still talking about some 2,000 years later, or he was indeed the Word who became flesh. And that question of who is Jesus, it's a good question to ask And the answer to that question is good for us to actually seek the source. What does Jesus say about himself? Was Jesus merely a man or was he the divine son of God? We each must answer this question. So we close out in verses 48 through 58. Once again, Jesus saying, verse 48, I am the bread of life, 49 and 50. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. So in John 6:35, 48, and 51, Jesus three times would say, in the first of the seven I am statements, I am the bread of life. The other I am statements, in John 8:12, I am the light of the world. In John 10, verses 7 and verse 9, I am the gate or the door for the sheep. In John 10, 11, and 14, I am the Good Shepherd. In John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15, verses 1, and also in verse 5, I am the true vine. I am. The Greek words are ego and me. Ego and me. I am. It means I exist. It has a sense of this meaning. Ego in me. In the Greek, it means I have always been. And it's also the name that God gave to Moses when Moses asked in Exodus three fourteen. Moses asked, and they will say to me, What is your name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you to me. Not only did Jesus say ego of me, in the Greek words for us, I am that which has always existed. But the Jews understood that this is that name that God gave to Moses. The people sought for physical bread to meet a temporary need and not the spiritual bread that would meet an eternal need. Let's not forget that the many who ate the manna in the wilderness, all but Joshua and Caleb died there in the wilderness. Are we merely living for physical needs or are we living for spiritual needs as well? In 51 and 52, the heavenly bread, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 42, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now this is the beginning of Jesus speaking about uh, his sacrifice upon the cross, his giving of his body. They didn't understand that. They just began to argue among themselves about the saying that Jesus was giving them at this time. Later, Jesus would begin to say in the Synoptic Gospels three times uh, in each of the Gospels, I believe it is, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus will say this one from Luke. He will tell them, his disciples, that I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. I will be killed, and I will be raised up on the third day. That's coming from Luke 9, 21 through 22. Jesus hadn't told these words to his disciples yet, but he's beginning to speak about it now in John chapter 6. The Jews were thinking cannibalism. How can we eat of his flesh while well, Jesus spoke of communion, of spiritually partaking in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through faith? In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So Jesus talking about communion here. In verses 53 through 56, He said to them most assuredly, once again, Amen, amen. So it reappears again. He repeats that again. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats of my flesh, drinks of my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed. My blood is drink indeed. He who eats of my flesh and drink of my blood abides in me and I in him. First, we are To partake of Jesus' body and blood by believing in God the Father who sent his Son from heaven. Second, we are to partake in the body of Christ, in the blood of Christ, by receiving the abundant gift of grace that comes through the work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Third, we not only partake in the body and blood of Christ, by feeding upon Jesus Christ, by growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And finally, we partake in the body and blood of Christ by going forth, by sharing His love with others. The bread reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24. The Lord Jesus, on the same night which He is betrayed, He took bread, He gave thanks, He broke it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me in first peter 224 it tells us that by his stripes you were healed in isaiah 53 5 it tells us by his stripes you are healed the body of christ represented by the bread that we're about to partake in here in our fellowship the cup reminds us of jesus's blood that was shed for the ransom of many 1 Corinthians 11:25 In the same manner he took the cup after supper, saying, "This is the cup of my blood, of the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me." In Hebrews 9:22 it tells us, according to the law, that almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Leviticus 17:11. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So 57 and 58. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father who feeds on me. So he who feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. As the Godhead, Jesus and the Father are one. They have life in one another, but also the Son offers life to all who believe in Him. You know, as I think about the manna in the wilderness and Jesus Christ being the bread of life, I see numerous sim- similarities. I'm going to close off with reading some of these things that I thought about. Six things. Manna first came to Israel while they were dwelling in the wilderness of sin. I always found that interesting there in the Exodus that that's where they were at. They were in the wilderness of sin. Well, Jesus came and dwelt among us in our wilderness of sin and gave his life a ransom for our sins. Number two, the Israelites were gathered the manna early before the sun grew hot and I believe it's good to begin each day in devotion to God and God's word teaching us. There are some people who do better studying at night, but um, for the wilderness, and this happens to us quite a bit, you know, I'll just read later. If they didn't go out in the morning to get the manna in the morning, it wasn't available in the afternoon. And quite often we'll think, oh, I'll just read later. And we realize the next day, Or the next week, or the next month. Better to start in the morning. Number three, each family had to gather the manna according to their need, and we are each responsible to seek the Lord for our salvation. We each have a need for salvation, but we each must come to Jesus to be saved. Our mom and dad can't do it for us, others can't do it for us. Number four, they measured out according to God's standard. When they did, They each had enough to satisfy. Jesus always satisfies those who put their trust in him. On the seventh day, they were to rest from gathering the manna. They were to spend the day with family, to worship, to do good on that day. And it's always good that we spend our Sabbaths, our Sundays, in a similar way. Number six, eating manna kept Israel alive for 40 years. Eating from the bread of life keeps us throughout all eternity. Jesus, the bread of heaven, gives life to all who believe in him. And Father, as we now prepare our hearts to receive communion in the spiritual sense, Lord, we're physically going to receive the bread and the cup. But Lord, in that spiritual sense, we actually receive that communion, partaking of the body and blood of Christ, When we received you as our Savior, when we first got saved, whatever age that might have been for each of us here was all at a different point in our lives. Probably none here got saved at the same moment on the same day. Maybe one or two might have. Lord, that's entirely into your hands. But Lord, now as we receive this bread, we know it is symbolic of your body that was broken for us. The word We've already looked at today. It's by your stripes that we are healed. We partake of that bread, Lord. We're reminded of your work upon the cross. We receive the cup, Lord. We, again, have already been reminded through your word that through the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness of sin. There is remission of sin. It reminds us of the price you paid for our sins there upon the cross. That the blood you poured forth then is still available to cover us now that we might have everlasting life in the body and blood of Christ. So, Father, we know these are symbolic of the work that you did nearly 2,000 years ago. But we look, Lord, to you continually for our hope. My prayer, Lord, is that we have partake, partook, I should say, of the bread, of the cup, by receiving you as our Savior That each one hearing my voice today, maybe on radio at a later time, maybe through video today or at a later time, Lord, that they would come to that acknowledgement of their need for you, that they would get their eyes off of seeking always and only for the physical and to seek, Lord, for the spiritual as well, that we might have everlasting life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Right now, we're going to have the worship team come and prepare a song for us. The men are going to come and distribute the bread and the cup for us. And then I'll say a few words and we'll have communion together. The Lord Jesus saying in verses 54 and 55, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last day for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. Verse 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him. And Father, thinking it appropriate, Lord, reading these pas- from this passage today to receive communion with the church body, to hold in our hands, Lord, this wafer that is reflective of your body that was pierced in the stripes, Lord, that the scripture tells us it's by his stripes that we are healed, that your body was pierced in the side there as you hung upon the cross and this matzo bread, Lord, having both stripes and piercing in them, reminding us, Lord, of your being on the cross and your death there upon the cross, the suffering that you went through, and the cup, Lord, with the juice, reminding us of the blood that was poured forth, and the Bible teaching us of both elements, that it's by your stripes that we were and that we are healed. And by your blood, Lord, there is forgiveness of sin. So bless us, Lord, as we do this in remembrance of you this day, of the work that you did for us so many years ago through your death and burial, resurrection and ascension into heaven. We partake of this bread and partake of this cup, not only remembering your past work, but looking forward, Lord, to your future work when you come again in in great power and glory. We say these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may eat of the bread and drink the cup. Yes, indeed. I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.